It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Benjamin Hall, and I'm searching for heroes. There is a question many of us ask ourselves. If something terrible happened right in front of you or around you, are you running towards it to stop it? Or are you running and hiding? Rich Fierro was in that position last November during a mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs, and he ran towards it. Not only that, but he brought down the shooter and saved countless lives, including his family and his friends. But that day, he also lost people he knew, including his daughter's boyfriend, Raymond Vance. And today we talk both about why he ran towards the gunman, what made him do that, but also what difficulties it has brought along. But perhaps most importantly, Rich talks about how he has used this to motivate people around him to try and find strength and positivity and freedom in what happened that day and reminds us all that community is what drives us forward. Here is my conversation with Rich Fierro. What I want is people to see somebody like me um, and my family at a, at a gay club, uh, just supporting other family members. Um, I, I just think it's important because I'm, I'm a Latino, I'm machismo, I'm a vet, I'm an old man, you know, like I'm not this new generation. And, and so it, those are the things that are important to me. And it matters that people see someone like me at a place like that, supporting family and then doing the things that we're, you know, as soldiers and veterans, we just are supposed to do. This whole thing is... I went to war and I expected it. And I, and I told the, the, the shooter this at his sentencing. I had more respect for the terrorists that I was fighting downrange than I did for him um, because I was the enemy. I was their enemy. I, they, were, they had a target. They had someone they wanted to, to kill. And I had the same. Uh, so there was a mutual respect there because that's, that's part of war. You know, we expect to go and, and maybe get hurt, maybe get killed. But that's, that's what you signed up for. But when I go home yeah. and in my backyard, I don't expect that to happen. Rich, tell us about that night. What happened? We had gone to, well, actually, I was at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which it sounds really weird, but I had just driven back that Friday. I had been gone for a week at, with work and, and helping some soldiers down there uh, do their training. And and I, listen, I, as soon as I got out of the Army, I went right back in as a contractor and started teaching. Um, and now I work for Spacecom. So I'm, I have a, a sense of service, I guess, a duty that I, I feel like I... I participated in multiple conflicts and hopefully I can pass on some of my knowledge uh, to these kids behind me. Um, but, you know, it, that's that's part of it. So I had just gotten back. Um, my wife and I, and I had our best friends, Chip and Joanne, had gotten COVID. So they were out. We hadn't seen each other in a month. Um, and so we were like kind of itching to get back and hang out with Chip and Joe. Cassie said, hey, it's Wyatt's birthday uh, tomorrow. He's doing a drag show. And, and Wyatt, my daughter, met in uh, second grade. So this, this young man came into our life the, the first day of school. She went to school in the States because she, she grew up most of her life, well, half of her life at that time in Germany. So when she got back to the States in, in Carson, Fort Carson, Colorado, uh, Wyatt was her first little friend in second grade. And they grew up together. Um, they're, still, they're still best of friends. And that's who we went to go support that night. So it was Wyatt's birthday. Um, we went to dinner, myself, Jess, uh, Raymond, 
my daughter, um, and Raymond and my daughter have been together for six years. So this was not like the kid that, you know, she just started dating a month ago. He was, he had he gone, was he was 22. He was yeah. 22. Same age as my daughter. Um, yeah. and they had, he had traveled with, we just gotten back from Hawaii. He, he's gone everywhere with us. He was part of our family. Um, felt like family. Exactly. Oh yeah. Felt like yeah. Family, so th- that, that to us was, was very kind of important. Um, that people understand that this was not just her boyfriend. This was her hopes and dreams. And, you know, at, at some point she, they were thinking of literally at this moment, they were going to go back to San Diego together. She was on, she was on a break from school. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why she was in town. And so we were all there. We were all going to go to this dinner and then um, go to the show. And I had not, I had not been to club Q. My wife and daughter had seen uh, Wyatt a few times before uh, I just hadn't had gone. Um, so, it was like a, a thing. Let's just go. All of us were going. And so we got in our cars and we all went to the dinner and we had a great time at dinner. I was joking with Raymond because my my thing with Ray, he's a good young he was a good young man. Um, but I was trying to kind of show him the ropes because his dad's in a in a in a not not really around. Um, so it's funny. We, we, there's it's Colorado and we get snow, right? But it's like a it's not a New York snow. It's not a thick snow. It's a you know, three, four inches, and then it melts. But my, my house faces the, the opposite way of the sun, so the driveway stays pretty icy. So I had got, we had gone on a trip, and I'd come home. Actually, this was, this was a Fort Sill. Yeah, so I'd come home, and this is the second time I had seen my driveway was not shoveled, and Raymond was in my wow, house. He had done it. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, dude, yeah. you got to pick up the shovel and make this thing happen. Um, and he was like, but I wasn't here. And I go, I don't care anymore. At this point, you're, you, you live here damn near all the time. So it was important for me to kind of get that across to him. And that was our, our running joke was the, was the shoveling of the snow. Um, and, and coincidentally, the, the day, the day of his, uh, his ceremony, his funeral, his, his memorial, it snowed. So now for me and, and Cass, that snow is kind of a, kind of a thing that I shared with Raymond just, just as a, as a, it's tough. Hey? Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, there's a lot of weird reminders. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we were, we were, we were going to the club. We went to the club, me and Jess were the first ones there. Um, and I was going to, I wanted to sit like kind of off to the side and Jess was like, no, we're, we're going to watch Wyatt. We're going to sit right here. And, and we, we got a table for five, but there's six of us. So Chip and Joanne were sharing the same chair. So she was sitting on his lap. Um, and we've known Chip and Joanne since, well, when they just got married, they were newlyweds. Um, they didn't have any kids and now they have a nine year old and a four year old. So we've watched them grow, you know, as a family. And so they're, they're just as close as, as, as our own brothers and sisters, um, me and Jess. So this was our whole Colorado family going to this club and, uh, we were having a great time. Like we just has video like Cassie had taken some video and we were all doing, uh, a, 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 a toast because Ray bought everybody shots because he didn't pay for dinner. And I was joking with my dinner. I'm like, dude, why, why are you getting all this? You know, you're getting all these tacos and margaritas, margaritas. And you're not even eating or, or you're not paying. And he's like, oh, no, sir. And, and my daughter told me to shut up, you know, that, hey, dad, you're going to pay. And I'm like, I know. I'm just, he's, I'm just, he's, he's still called you, sir. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he was he was a good young man. And so when we went to the club, that's what he was doing. He bought us some shots. And, and, you know, I, I see that as a sign of respect. He, he reached out, he doesn't have much money. He works, you know, he was working at Amazon. He was trying to get, get his life together. And, uh, you know, he bought us a couple shots and we were, we were all excited. We were very happy. Um, probably one of the best nights we'd had in a long time. And then the main shooting, um, it was the picture of the, of the, 
of the guy coming in the door with his rifle up. That was what was really hard for us watching, at least in my family and, and for Chip and Joanne, um, because we knew what was on the other side of that picture. Yeah. Right. And and yeah, nobody you. else in the world, everybody just looks at it as a guy with a gun. But it's this the horror on the other side of that gun that nobody sees because nobody wants to show that. But that's what well, we tell lived. Us, tell us about it, man. What happened? Yeah. So so I, I was we were sitting there and, and all of a sudden and, and I heard and I smelled it, the 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 rifle fire immediately and and I knew what it was because I'd been shot at before. But you can see it in because I was facing away from the door uh, and I was watching my wife, daughter, and Joanne dancing, and I was sitting next to Chip. And uh, once the the, the 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 shooting started, it's that smell. And and I I'm used to it because in the army, I mean, hell, we I was an artilleryman, so it, it's a the cordite smell is is huge because we do big giant bags of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you you did you did four tours, right? So you yeah, yeah, was, three in, Iraq, in Iraq and and the last one, one was in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I've I've had you know IEDs blow up in our convoy and all that stuff, but this was at home. And so, and when it started going off, uh, Chip, Chip, and I can't remember. I don't remember much of you know that in- initial incident, but we watched the video, and and as soon as the firing started, we go to the ground. Chip flipped a table trying to protect you know, get behind a table. Um, and you can see Joanne and him both were shot. Uh, everybody to the left of, if you would have drawn a line from the shooter to myself and my daughter, everybody to the left of us was shot. When he finished, stopped firing to turn to the other direction. Myself, my daughter, and my wife were on the other side of that line. So the three of us how were not far shot. Away, how far away from you was he? Uh, in the, I'd probably be six feet, maybe. Like he was right oh, behind wow. us. Yeah, no, he, but because he came down this, uh, it's like a little hallway uh, that runs down, like a walkway that runs down into the. So there's a bar area up top. When he first came in, he just opened up on that whole bar area, and the glass was shattering everywhere. But then there's a second area where you walk down, and that's where the the dance floor was. That's where my wife. That's where we were. Um, Raymond had gone to the bar to buy us another round of shots. And it was funny because Michael, one of the bartenders, the one, the only bartender to survive, told us, "I remember you." And I go, "Well, everybody remembers me. I'm the big Mexican guy in the club." And he goes, "He goes, yeah, I remember you, but it was Raymond because he was ordering water. He wasn't drinking because he was driving my daughter home. So I, he was doing the respectful thing, but he was up there to get another water and shots for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and so and so he was in that bar area when this this person came in and, 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 and just lit it up. Um, and, and that he was killed immediately. Um, he was probably the, the third, second or third person killed, um, of the five. And, and so, but we didn't know that none of us knew anything. We, when this happened, we were on the ground. Um, I went around to the back of the table, I guess, to check on chip. And then I literally, as I'm, I'm like, I got to get up, I got to do something. I wasn't shot. I, you know, I got to do something. I stood up and I fell like it literally looked like, you know, the cartoons where they slip on a banana. Like I stood up and you can see me yeah. in the thing. My little feet flip out and I fall backwards into this uh, bench of, of it's like bench seating. So I fall back into that and I already got a bad back. So I was like and I hit the thing and I was like, oh, crap. I didn't know if I was going to walk. I didn't know what was going on. And I look up and I saw this guy, the back of him. uh going into the patio and I can see people in the patio through the, the glass. Well, there, I, there was no glass there at that point cause he had shot it out, 
but you can see people in front of him running. Your wife had gone to the patio as well. Yeah, so. I didn't. I had no idea. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that this whole time, none of us knew where anybody was. I, I knew on the floor when I got up, like, I had last seen Chip. That's the only person yeah, I remember. And are people just running in every direction. Yes. Like, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Many, every, everyone else is trying to get out. Yeah. So, and listen, I, I don't know how many bullets were actually fired, uh, but he had a 60-round drum on his on his rifle. Um, and when that drum hit the floor, it was empty. So you can only imagine that that was when he stopped shooting. So we got in 45 seconds, by the time Thomas got to him, at 45 seconds after he walked in that door, he had unloaded 60 rounds, killed five, wounded 19. In that was 45 seconds. Yeah, no, I seen him. I seen the back of him and I knew I had to do something. I was capable. Yeah. And and I tell everybody this, listen, once you're shot at, and you know this specifically, once you're shot at, you don't know how your body's gonna respond. Yeah. Your body's and some people will they can't remember anything. Some people will shut yeah. down, some people will hide, some people will run. Um I had some of the bravest guys I thought were, you know, studs at PT, and then I go down range and they're freaking out when they hear the first ping off the truck. Yeah. You know, and and I'm like, dude, you're getting shot at. That's what we're here for. I'm like, I don't understand. Like for some reason for me, I'd already been shot. So I knew like I had to do something. There wasn't a, a, a period in my mind where I was like, uh oh, I better run. That wasn't what I thought. One of the things is about and I've been looking for this the whole time ever since, you know, what happened to me is why do some people find that strength? And others don't. And and I don't know if it's nature, nurture, how it's family amongst them. What is it? But when you're right at the receiving end of it, yeah. Like what made you? Like like why you and not other people? Well, well, Thomas Thomas did the same thing. So Thomas jumped at him. I didn't even know he was fighting him. He got shot for this. So when this this person was staring out the the patio door, I didn't know my wife was on the other side. No idea. Um, I didn't even know Derek because Derek was he had been shot and he's laying on the floor right under this guy's feet. Um, and Derek ended up passing. Uh, I didn't see any of that. I just saw the back his, or he had his, his body armor on. I go, yeah. that's, that's the enemy. I have to go stop that. I don't know. I didn't think through it. I just got up and ran across the thing and, and started jumping in there to fight him. And Thomas had at that point already grabbed his rifle, didn't remove it from him because he had it, he had it slung on his, on his, on his body, but he had burned his hand on it, on the, on the rifle um, but it, at least it stopped him from reloading because he came in with a rack of, uh, uh, six mags of 45 per, uh, he had 60 in the magazine when he started. And then, uh, he had four more magazines of 45 rounds for his pistol. This guy went in there to kill all of us. There was no stopping yeah. him in his yeah, mind. Everybody was going to die. And so when I ran over there, I didn't know he was fighting Thomas at that point. But as and in the video, as you watched it, as I'm running over, you can hear the pop when he fired at 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 um, Thomas and he shot Thomas in the ch in the chest or in the kind of the diaphragm is where he ended up. Um, who was Thomas? Again? Thomas or James was the first one to jump at him when when this guy came at the was facing the patio. He was in the patio with 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 folks and he jumped at him there. Um, and then when I got there, he was already engaged, but that's when he had gotten shot, and so he was falling to the ground and we were all taking the shooter down to the ground at that point. So the three of us were, were fighting um, the shooter and he was reaching for his weapons. He apparently had a, some kind of incendiary device, like a grenade looking thing. And he had tried to fashion as a grenade. It was a little of those stun uh, poppers or whatever they do for 
the civilian guys. I don't know why anybody's selling grenades, but he had a grenade on him. Yeah. Um, he was going for his handgun, so you knew that he was, already had it out. Was, yeah. So and and but it, listen, it's dark. There's music playing. There's lights going. There's screaming. There's people that are. I mean, you can hear the shrills of people dying, and and it was mayhem. But we knew we had to stop him. Like period. And so when Thomas hit the floor, we all kind of went to the floor. This guy kept he kind of pulled himself out, and I think that's where his 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 uh, rifle got uh, his sling broke. But his rifle was never more than a foot away from him. Like he could have picked that thing up if he was able to pick it up and reload. He could have shot all of us again. Mm. Um, what I didn't know, but what we saw in the video was he pointed his pistol at me to try and shoot me, um, like straight in my face. And I did not know that because it was dark. And then for some reason, I remember scrambling for his pistol out of his hand. Yeah. And then it ended up in my hand. And so I then started using because it was empty. I knew it was empty. It was, I wasn't going to be able to shoot him. So I just used his pistol as like you would with any other tool. And I just started chopping at him with it. Um, yeah. and, and the only. And right then you're thinking one thing as well. Just. I have to stop him. Yeah, I, this guy cannot get back up. If he gets back up, we're all dead. And 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 like and the and the rifle was right there. It is it is right in front of him. And so I'm on on his back and I'm I'm just wailing away on the back of his head with this pistol. And Thomas is laying there and I knew he was hurt. I didn't know he was shot, but I Where kept was telling him uh, he was shot in the diaphragm. So yeah. when they, that pistol, when he fired at Thomas, that magazine fell out before it chambered a second round because the second round would have been right into my face. But it never chambered. So I got lucky um, that that magazine fell out before it chambered a second round because it, it usually doesn't happen. You usually clip that second round and then the magazine falls and you're going to have one in the chamber still. So as he fired, that thing fell out and it did not allow that thing to, to grab a second round. Um, so his only pistol fire that he made was on with was at, at Thomas and he shot him in the diaphragm. Um, and then Thomas said, I guess, that it hit his rib and popped back out. So he didn't have... He had damaged his diaphragm, but it could have killed him had it not bounced off his rib. So he's on the ground in front of him uh, with his feet towards the shooter's head. And, and I'm yelling at Thomas, kick, kick this dude, kick, you know, and, and, and I'm cussing this whole time because I'm, I'm, the adrenaline is, was unreal. Um, You're also trying to get other people involved. Right? Yeah, so, so I'm yelling at people, call 911, come help me, come help me kick this dude, come kick this dude. Because honestly, if I could have had everyone in that room jump on this dude, we would have. Um, but again, I didn't know who was there. I didn't know who was alive, who was, I didn't know anything and it was dark. So I'm just telling yeah. people to call 911. Uh, uh, I'm telling Thomas to kick this dude. I'm trying to, I, I'm telling him or the shooter, I'm going to kill you to motivate myself. So myself yeah. and Thomas were for six minutes fighting. He was kicking him uh, and God bless him. Cause I, I mean, he was shot and just kept, he just kept going. And, and I was using the pistol to try and, I mean, the scene was how many people like, like of all the people there how many came to help no it was just me and thomas and then at the end just before the police came in uh drea a young trans woman uh had had heard me yelling help help me help me kick this dude i told her, her i was yelling at people tom he's this dude's getting tired he can't kick anymore because thomas was shot but i didn't know that i just thought he was getting tired it was six minutes nobody goes into a club getting ready for a two-round fight you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm not trained for this. I'm, I, 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 don't, I don't run every morning. I don't do stay in shape for the six-minute fight um, on a random night. Um, so Drea actually went by us the first time, checked on, on her girlfriend, and then came back. 
and she lined up her foot and stomped the this dude, but stomped him in the face. Like, at, I mean, five, six times, I don't know, eight times. Um, and, and that was when, as soon as she finished the police, I saw the, 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 the first spotlight on the, on the rifle for the police coming in. That was uh, quite a quick return. I mean, the, the cops were there in, uh, it was so we fought for six minutes. They once yeah. they got their call, the the nine one one call. I think it was they were there two minutes after that, um, oh. but we didn't see anybody in that club until six minutes after this thing started. Yeah. So for forty five seconds he was shooting, and then six minutes of me and Thomas fighting him, and then the police showed up. Um, and the next minute you're trying to run triage effectively. You're trying to say this guy needs <laughs> no. help. That guy we need to we need yeah. Medical. Well, so that, that's where yeah. So that's where it got a little weird for me. Um, I. After after the fight, and the cops could have shot me. I had a pistol, and I looked like you know Hannibal Lecter with with just covered in blood, and I didn't realize it until my wife told me. Um, but yeah, so they they were restrained enough not to shoot me or Thomas, and so Thomas at that point ran out. I don't know how he did it, but he got up and he ran out. I went back to the table where I was sitting because I didn't know if my whole family was laying. I had no idea. I had no idea where my yeah. wife and daughter were. But mind you, we found out afterwards, Jess was six feet on the other side of the wall of me while this whole thing was going on. She was in the patio, um, and she was she was a millisecond from being the, the person that was shot in the uh, – Derek, because he was shot right behind her as she turned left into the patio. Um, my daughter would had crawled into a closet because her knee had blown out. Um, she shattered her kneecap on the dance floor, falling to try and run. Um, she crawled, I don't know, 30 feet. Uh, and she told me afterwards, she's like, dad, you used to make us do the low crawl. And that's all she could remember was low crawl. Just keep your head down and keep your head in the dirt. And I used to do that for fun with him. I didn't do it. Funny, isn't it? The things that come back to you when you're in these. And I tell you, first of all, you're thinking that you've done your back in. Yeah. And then she's thinking low crawl, but actually you're acting. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and so she, she made her way into a closet and it was her Joshua and delusional, hiding back there and they had no idea that this guy was going to come and just assassinate him right there in the closet. And you, you can hear my daughter go, you know, my dad has PTSD. You can't deal with this. Like she was worried about us. She wasn't worried about herself. And, and that's what I like as parents, that's all we could ever hope is that our kid, our kids grow up to have that same sense of, of service to others, not to themselves. And, and that was a, it was a, it was a really beautiful thing. And, and so as soon as I got done with the fight and, and I got up and I ran over to where we were seat, seated and all I saw was Chip and Joanne and Joanne was in a really bad way. Um, uh, but her arm was, I, I thought it would, she was going to lose her arm because it was blown apart. Um, it, her bicep area was just gone. I was just bone. I was looking at her bone and a flap of meat. Um, and, and then I saw her knees and she was shot through her legs twice. But I didn't realize she was shot in her chest because it was on the opposite side of where I, I showed up to her. And Chip, when I walked over, when I, well, I don't know if I walked over or ran, but Chip was holding pressure on her wound to her lung so that she wouldn't bleed out while his knees were sh- shot out. So he was shot twice in the knee, or once in the knees, but it went through both knees. So he got shot twice with the same bullet, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And you're trying to orchestrate... Yeah. So I get over there. And again, like this is all in our training. It's like you're on the actions on the objective. You, you, uh, 
you deal with the wounded, you treat the wounded, and then you get them out of there, and and you, then you start assessing the situation. What had happened? You know, where's it was already secure. We knew that that was the only shooter. So when I when I got off the guy, I didn't have to worry about you know who else is coming to kill us. That wasn't the thing. It was about triage. It was about getting people back to where they need to be. So I'm yelling like. Telling cops, get on a body, get this, get people out of here, bring in the, the ambulance, you know, like, stop trying to secure this place. We got them. Come get these people out of here. Um, and that went on for quite a while. And so I was, and I, and I was yelling at cops, like, because you could see it in their eyes. They were so, like, there was someone who was just totally shocked, like, what is going on? Like, nobody had ever seen this kind of carnage. And I, and I understand that, but you got to snap out of it. You're here to, to help, and, and you need to get in here and start putting tourniquets on people. So I had the, the, the first cop I saw put tourniquets on Joanne's arm, one on her arm, one on her leg. And she was in total shock. She didn't feel any of this stuff. And, but she was fading in and out. And, and so I'm telling her to stay, you know, look at me, stay with me, stay with me. I didn't want her to look at chip because that's where her arm was laying. And I didn't want her to see her own wounds and then really freak out. So I'm turning her head, trying to keep her from looking over there. Um, and Chip was like, dude, Rich, get her, get her help, get her help. And so I'm there, we put tourniquets on her leg and then I had him put another tourniquet on her arm. Cause I was like, she's going to lose her arm, but I, I don't want her to bleed out. So I told the guy, I put another tourniquet on to, to seal that, like you're going to bleed out. That's, that's where you, that's where you die. It's not, it's not about the actual wound. It's about the, the arteries that are severed or whatever's coming out of there. So I put another tourniquet on her arm. I did not know she was shot in the chest and she kept telling me, Rich, stop pushing on my chest. And I wasn't, but she was breathing and she could feel the pain. She thought it was me, but that was from the, from the bullet that was in her. Um, Chip, I told him after they got the tourniquets on Joanne, I said, put a tourniquet on, on Chip's knees. Put a, he's shot. He's shot. So I'd never seen a guy in that much pain when they, when they tightened that thing down. I mean, he folded like a, like a, one of those lawn chairs, just folded in pain. And I'm so, sitting there. Yeah, I'm sitting there looking at my two best friends. And I, I literally thought she was going to die. I looked at Chip and he goes, don't let her die. And he started reaching for her hand. And I, and I, and I said, Joanne, I'm going to put your hand in his hand. You're, you're holding hands. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. I, I, I've read that too. I mean, was that just to, to encourage both of them? Was that to yeah, give her no, I would hope. Do you think it could be a final goodbye and you wanted them to sort of be holding hands? Yeah, right. I, it was the only thing I can think of because I, I mean, I didn't know she was going to make it. I really didn't. And and she was fading in and out. And I looked at her, I looked at Chip and I went, if this is the only thing I can do, then I'm doing it because she couldn't move her arm and, and I couldn't get him to move anywhere because he was wounded. And, and so that was the only thing I could think of to get them both to kind of have some hope and, and move forward. I, I now that, like that does, some, it does a lot that, I mean, it does hope, yeah. hope and strength gives people almost better recovery than anything else. If you get, show them what they're fighting for and what they've got, it's amazing how much, how much that helps. Well, and she's a mom she was staying alive for her kids. She didn't, I mean, and, and God bless her. Like she was in ICU for a week. Um, they didn't know if they were going to be able to save her at all. And then it became, you know, four or five hours later, I don't know if we're going to be able to save your arm. Um, but they were able to, to piece her back together. And, and it was amazing. I So at one point, while I'm sitting there yelling at everybody, telling the cops what to do and trying to help my friend get some kind of help, my wife had walked up, and I didn't realize this until we saw the video. She'd walked up, and I didn't want her to see her best friend in that way. 
Um, what was that moment? Because you you probably I, didn't realize that no, she was alive or I, not. I, I did not. The and minute you saw her, what? The minute what I saw like? her, I told her to 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 back the f off. Go stand over there. I don't want you to see this. You cannot see this because my wife truly, 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 Joanne is her best friend. They love, I mean, she's, they've gone through things in their lives that are so, they're very bonded. And so I didn't want her to see her in that way. So I, that my instinct was to protect Jess and, hey, get over there. Don't go, don't come over here. I don't want you to see this. I don't want did you to she, see this. And did she moved back. She did. She stood there. And then my daughter came out of the closet. And uh, at that point, the, the, the firefighter had finally gotten to, to Joanne, the paramedics. We'll be back in a moment with Searching for Heroes. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You know, you mentioned family, you know, a couple of times, you know, she was survived for her kids and you just want to do anything to get yours. Remember when I was hit as well, it was my kids as well. Yeah. That's all I thought about. Yeah. Whatever it took. Like I was there, leg gone. And I was like, whatever. Yeah. Just find the kids, get home to the kids. And yeah. you take everything else away and you're left with that one thing. Yeah. That's it. Family. Like, how do I protect? How do I get back to my family? I mean, it's just such a strength. And And I think that's. That's why we were there, right? We were there to watch family. Wyatt was performing. It was a great performance. His boyfriend sang him happy birthday, and Daniel was killed. His his boyfriend was killed. My daughter's boyfriend was killed. So these two best of friends, my daughter and Wyatt, went to junior prom together. She was already dating Raymond, but she said, no, I'm going with Wyatt. She went to junior prom with Wyatt. She went to senior prom with Ramon. Or Ramon, I, we call him Ramon because we're you know we're Latinos, so we changed Raymond into Ramon. <laughs> so my wife always called him Ramon, uh, and he didn't. He it, his mom laughs at it because she's like, "Who the hell is Ramon?" And we were like, "No, that's Raymond," because he was our family. Like my, you know, we we have little names for everybody. Um, so anyway, the that's that's what it was all about family, right? And and I and I always. It wasn't what I thought about it as I was fighting the guy. It was it, what I thought about as it, soon as I knew family it was for you. It's like it's family for you. I get yeah. you know, you've shown that. But I mean, you were the only one, you and Thomas, the only yeah. ones who went and, and risked their own lives right. to stop this guy. And I right. just, I wonder what's the difference. What did you have that maybe others didn't? What, is there a bravery? Was it the training that you had experienced? Like, why do some people have it and other people don't? I don't know. And that's that's part of nature. And honestly, it's probably part, part of my flaws. Um, I am a I'm a I'm not a very good flight guy. I'm a I'm a very big fight guy, which is not good. And in a bar, when somebody hits on my wife, I'm ready to attack. You know, like I I do not have that slow down thing anymore. And and it, maybe it's from downrange. Maybe it's not. Maybe I've always had it. I don't know. Um, but that came in handy that night, right? So it wasn't about flight. You think do you think that should be should should we be working to to give younger people that should should when you're raising kids do they need that does it make a stronger community when you know everyone will stop to protect everyone like 
I, I don't know because I again I don't want to I don't want to live in a society where everybody's ready to fight. There's no way, um, right. you know. And and it's good to have people that run and people that that hide because that's preservation of life. They're they're worried about their families too, you know. And nobody should be tested like this. I knew how it would respond only because I'd been shot at before. I had everything was blanked out and it was all about let's go get the enemy and it didn't matter you know my own personal well-being was not what i was thinking about i was thinking about all those guys that are around me the folks that i'm leading i got to get in there and make sure that they don't get hurt and that's straight out of military i mean that's but that's also out of family like when when i was growing up my dad always told us he goes you know and my mom and dad are still together you know i'm 46 so they've been together 47 years um i've been with jessica for 32 years you know, mm-hmm. like it's it's ingrained in us as much as we would. You know, I, I don't know are the values that we have matched as a family members with the military for me, because it was about everyone else and not yourself. My dad always told us, hey, your mom and your brother are the only two that are going to be there for you forever. Mom can throw me out of this house tomorrow and I'm out of here. I'm no longer your dad or I am your dad. I'm just not here. And I was like, it, it's profound when you think about it. Those are the only two that are left is your mom. And whatever siblings you got. And for me, it was my brother. And, and I think it just carried over into the military. Interesting, because you've also said, you know, that you, you said you served, you fought. So you're doing the tricky stuff because you hope your kids don't have to. Absolutely. And I want these kids to do whatever the hell they want. They have access. I didn't have access. I had, a, I had an encyclopedia set that went from A to F because that's all my mom could afford. And that's what, I, that's what my world consisted of. That's how I learned. I had a typewriter. I didn't have all this access to information. My daughter, my kids, they look at things in a totally different way than I ever would have at their age. I'm, I, at 22, I, we were just trying to figure out, you know, what are we doing tomorrow? I, I'm, I'm in the army. I'm just like, holy, yeah, I got to follow orders and do my thing. It was a safe thing. They're out there like flying by the seat of their pants, just making stuff happen. And And I admire that because that's what America is about. Right. And that's what that's what we fought for was for these kids to do whatever they want. We yeah. cannot marginalize them for, for, for thinking in different ways. Did you ever encourage them to join the military? Did you ever think no. that that was? No, no. I, listen, I only joined because that was a job right out of college. And they paid for college. I wasn't expecting to go to college. I thought it was going to be a carpenter. We had, me and Jess had our, our son when we were 16, 17. So I was not expecting to go to college. I was not expecting to be an officer. I was not ever going to join the military. I was just like... I need a job and they offer to pay for the scholarship. And I'm like, okay, that gets my college done. I'll be the first one to graduate college in my family. Let's do it. And then I'll go into the army. I got a job. Like you're telling me five days after I've, I've, I've got a paycheck. Yeah, I'm in. It, it was the safest because, thing for me to do. <laughs> because I mean, perhaps that the training that you learned that saved lives that day. And so there's nothing but positivity. In it. And yet you're still sort of suggesting that, Maybe the military, what is only right for people who don't have other options? I, I mean, honestly, that's what the, that's what my formations usually were. There's only a few folks that go, hey, I want in. Now, 9-11 happened. Yeah, absolutely. There was a rush of, of folks yeah. that just wanted to help. Everyone wants to. Yeah. But there's a thing with the military. I mean, it, it takes away it, it takes away a lot of your freedoms because you're you you are now part of the system. And so you got to you got to play ball. And that playing ball doesn't mean, you know, I can go smoke weed or do whatever, like, you know, as these kids do now. And so that changes things. And I had guys that were in that I'm like, dude, you, you can't be here no more. You're, you're a threat. 
Like it, the format, everybody always says that every soldier's a hero. And I'm like, no, there's some really bad folks that make their way in and they need to go away too. You know, we'll put them in jail or we send them out of the, out of the military. So it's funny. Cause when you look at, when you look at kids and how you raise them, then yeah. you need to have some rules, some restrictions yeah. Like don't go off and smoke pot and do yeah. these things, but not as many as you were given in the military. Like where's the boundary between how many regulations? Kids- yeah. I don't know. And, 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 and I, I, I get that. It makes that makes sense what you're saying, but I just I don't know. I, I feel like I want all the freedom I need, but I also hold myself accountable for stuff. Everything. I'm I'm responsible for it. And that I think is what's lacking with a lot of folks now is about accountability and responsibility for your own actions, your own thoughts, and your own discussion. If you're gonna say something and you better be able to back it up. Right. And so for me, I always said, I, and I tell every reporter, I, go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an opinion on nothing because my opinion doesn't matter. My opinion only matters when I'm in a ballot box. Right. And, and yeah. so that's when folks need to figure it out on their own, but we can't do this as, you know, you can be the loud voice in the room, but not everybody's going to pay attention to you, nor does it matter. It doesn't change anything. If you're not, yeah. you know, if you're not in your local politics, if you're not a council member, if you're not a mayor, you're really not going to change anything. You're just going to be the loud voice in the room and nobody cares. But yeah. make some change if you if you want to make things change, you know? I wonder if every generation thinks that the one after them is just weaker and not as community-bound. <laughs> you know, like I think my dad probably did. I don't know. Yeah, no, they did. They definitely today, did. I think the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I do worry nowadays. I worry because of the, of the internet and I worry because people don't go and interact anymore. And I wonder because you know, you live on social media, you're, you're, you're missing community. And like what you did that day, that's about family and community. Yeah, yeah. And like, I am worried that perhaps people don't have such a sense of community nowadays. Kids don't. And then maybe we're not there for each other. We're not there to help each other. And that is worrying perhaps. Yes. No. And I agree with you. And I, and I, and I tell folks this all the time. I now, everywhere I go, I'm like, hello, how are you? But my name's Rich, you know, let's talk. Yeah, and I'm at co- I'm at Costco or wherever, or just random people. I I I will interact with anybody. And I and I said at the at one of these things, had somebody maybe seen this kid before he was, you know, went into this club to kill all of us at Walmart that day and shook his hand or said, Hey man, how you doing? Maybe he would have felt some kind of community, a sense of people care about him. And he, maybe he wouldn't have done this, right? But our answer is is always post, you know, what can we take away? What can we no, how about you reach your hand out and shake your hand of, the, of your neighbor and hopefully yeah. that will will make things better. The social media thing, I don't play the game. I, I have a Facebook because that's how I talked to my family when we were uh, when I was downrange. So I have that account and I use it, but only for positive stuff. My voice doesn't matter online. And, and, and I yeah. recognize that, but I, I don't think other people do. I think everybody thinks that their voice, now that they're able to broadcast it to the world, matters. And it doesn't. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the shooter that day, and it's, I don't even think it's worth mentioning their names. Like yeah. they should just be disappeared. Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting what you said. Like when you look at him and the hatred that he had for LGBTQ yeah. and the reason that he did this. I mean, is that a, a pure sense of evil, or, or is that you know something that went wrong in his life? And I don't know if you've thought about it and you've thought about what drove him. What what what, what are your thoughts? There there. <sighs> And, and this is not specific to him. There is a sense out there for some reason um, that, that folks are getting this mentality of, you know, it's like that wannabe soldier. 
I, I'm a, a soldier from my couch. No, you're not. You know, um, I, half these folks running around, uh, my, my dad was drafted in Vietnam, went and served, did his year. Um, and he never really talked about it. And he's always been kind of, you know, we always knew it affected him r- really differently. Um, but he served, right? And we got people that draft dodged and all of a sudden now they want to be all about America because, you know, that's cool. But you didn't serve. You didn't raise your hand for your community. You did not say, I will, I will suffer for those around me. And I look at the press, and that's why everybody's like, oh, the media, this, this, and that. I go, no. These folks are out there trying to get the word out, whatever that word is. And folks like you get injured, right? Like those things happen because you put yourself in a position to serve your community, and you end up with repercussions from that. I'm screwed up in my head, and and that's because I served my community. I went downrange. I seen things I shouldn't have. I've just my mind is not the same as it was before. My wife told me every time I redeployed, like you're a different guy each and every and it's time. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she said also in the past, you know, that she was really worried that this episode may have triggered some PTSD. Oh no, I did. And, Definitely did. And like, <laughs> I wonder if you can explain first of all, like, a, the PTSD that, that you experienced beforehand, and then what this did to it. There's there's a guilt. So and and I and I said this too. Everybody's like, "Oh, you're a hero. You saved lives." I go, "No, we lost five. I we didn't save five people, and that's those five people mattered. Um, people were shot. Their lives are changed forever. So I mean, we met a, a couple that was behind us that we never met before. Um, he was shot through his throat. Lived. I don't know how you. I don't know how you'd live with that. You know. I, my, my mental strain is more guilt, more, uh, I think that's my biggest thing with downrange for, I mean, as, as an officer, you put people in positions to where they did get killed, where they did get shot at, um, and injured because you have to make a decision to send them in. And so there's a guilt that rides with that. Um, there's a, there's a sense of, did I do enough? Right. Am yeah. I, did I shortchange somebody? And so I think that is what that PTSD thing is, is it's more about guilt that you didn't do enough. You know what? I mean, I, um, like I, I've been getting awards over the last year yeah. for bravery yeah. and for, you know, you're doing this, you're out there, you're doing amazing things. And I feel exactly what you just said. Yeah. Like the four other guys didn't come back. Yeah. Like, why am I getting awards? Yeah. Like that's not for the work I did. That's just for surviving. And that's, I, I totally feel you, man. That's a tricky place to be. And you speak to perhaps the, you know, I speak to the family members of those who didn't come back and they've lost something forever. Like, like my injuries don't matter at all. Like, yeah. They're irrelevant compared yeah. to those like shot in the throat as well or, yeah. or, or those who didn't come back. And I don't know, it, it's a strange place. Now you've said before, you're not a hero and everyone keeps no. calling you a hero. Yeah, I'm not. I, everybody in that room that night was a hero, right? Chip saved his wife by putting pressure on her while he was shot. My wife was in a in a corner covering uh, Svetlana, and her and Michael were trying to keep someone else alive. Didn't know if this guy was going to come in, and, and she saw the rifle go into that patio, and then it stopped. You talk about sort of the survivors as well. They're all heroes. Yeah. I mean, are you are you close to them? Like when you share that with people, like yeah, well, how that no. Play? So we we've. The, the, so this was a really weird situation. So this guy pled guilty. And so our court case was done in six months, button on it. Everybody's like, move on. And that's not how it works. 
Um, yeah. And and we thank God we haven't gotten dragged through, you know, years of litigation. The, so that's why. So they, you never had the trial where you, you got to talk and no. hold into account for he did this, then he did this. None of that None happened. Of that. No, that must leave a vacuum for you. It does. You feel- and that's why that's why for me and my wife, we, we watched we went and watched all the video footage um, because we wanted to know what happened. But that is what the CCTV. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you this guy sat, had 30, 30 cameras in there. Yeah. And you, how was that when you made that decision? Like, what? We didn't know. I kept telling Jess, like, no, we don't need to watch it. We don't need to watch it. We had seen the the fight portion. Uh, So there's literally a video right on top of me and James as Thomas, as we fought this guy the whole time. So the, the, I mean, that's how I know the guy tried to shoot me because I did not see that in the dark, but the video camera is in that gray, you know, whatever, uh, night vision. And so you see the whole thing and you Mm -hmm. can, Take the time to look at, you know, and you know how long it took for the, the first. And again, I, I was at the bottom of the, 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 the dance floor with, with Joanne and Chip. And there was, I mean, people shot at the front door. So there, and the, the firefighters may have been, paramedics may have been working on folks just trying to get down to where Joanne was that 20 minutes. So I don't fault them for it. They may have been trying, you know, as they walk in another body, take them out, you know, and, and they just keep going from there. Um, so I don't fault anybody for anything. I just, in, in my mindset, that video for us was a closure of, uh, we didn't watch anything in the bar. Me and Jess decided not to watch uh, where Raymond was shot because we didn't want to see that. So we didn't watch anything in the bar. But Jess wanted to know, hey, what was going on outside when I was out? And like, we seen her in the, in the parking lot and she had no idea she was in that parking lot. Like she had come out and then went back in. And and it's just one of those things where you just needed to know what you were doing, what was going on. I didn't know I had seen my wife and daughter before I got thrown in that police car. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what gave us closure. But there was no accounting for this guy. And yeah. nobody's because there was no he pled out. So he got 2000 years. He's never coming out. That's that's not you know, that's the good thing. But what would you say to him? I did say to him, we, when we sentenced this guy, I told him he was, he was worse than the terrorist that I fought downrange. I said, you are a coward that I have zero respect for because you came in to kill. And we talked about this earlier. When you're downrange, you have, you know, I'm a target, they're a target. We, we have a, there's a sense of play here that makes sense. Even as you, like in the press, you're like, I'm in a dangerous area. I should expect something to happen. I'm going to try and protect myself, but I know I'm in a spot where this could happen. You don't go to the club to do that. Yeah. You know? And when you come in there and just to kill the lowest form of life, I, I could not. And I told him that. And my wife told him that, you know, hey, I don't care who you are. You know, we all got a chance to say our piece. I, I, I took probably a month of writing my, my little speech out to him um, because I really wanted to say some things. And, and I posted it on my little Facebook for people to see. Because I, I thought it was what's important. That, what's, the, what's the Facebook page? Mine. Just mine. Yeah, my, my regular one. And then I posted it because I wanted people to see the letter or what I wrote because it wasn't televised. They don't televise when they sentence these guys. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was a personal thing, but I also wanted people to understand how I saw this person. We'll be back in a moment with Searching for Heroes. How's your daughter doing? So that was, that was uh, that's the hard one uh, for me and, and because... You were just talking about that. Their lives are changed forever, right? That was, that was, it's very hard for us to look at her every day and see the progress she's making and then see the times when she has meltdowns and just the yeah. sadness. I think yeah. that the, the fact that her dreams were taken from her 
so brutally. Um, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do with it. I, I, I literally look at Jess all the time and I go, can you imagine me or you losing each other at 22? I, I, I can't, you know, I don't know how I would go forward. And she met Raymond the same way that I met Jess. They were in junior high and they, they had this love, you know, it, it's, we're high school kids, you know, you're in and out of a relationship, but you're, you ended up with each other. So, so yeah. So, what does recovery look like? I, like, I don't like how know. Do you go day by day? Is it uh, therapy? Do you do therapy? I, no, like, I do. What, like, what, what do you do? <laughs> I do everything in its brother. Um, I've done. I do massage therapy. I've done acupuncture. I've gone to hypnotists. I've done. Uh, I go every week the VA. I go to see my my mental health doc. I'm on meds. I do all that stuff. Because what are you trying to get rid? What do you? What are you specifically? Are you trying to? Stop or I'm trying, trying to manage. To over? I'm trying to manage my anger because I think for me, all my feelings manifest as anger. Mm-hmm. I get pissed off at the little things. And I, and I told the story. The one time I finally realized I actually had a problem. I, I can't, I told the, the girls before I went and I was still in the army. I said, Hey, turn the lights off before you go to bed. I'm going to bed. Turn the lights off before you go to bed. So I went to bed. They, everybody went to bed at some point. Um, I came downstairs at 5.30 in the morning for PT, so I was getting ready to go, and all the lights were on. And I was, ra- I mean, I wanted to go and wake everyone up, how disrespectful this was. It was the worst, and I'm talking about, what, a penny in energy? Like, it is, it's, it's trivial. There's no reason I should be that upset over light bulbs being on. But that's, that's how it manifests itself for me. And, and I have to control that because I don't want to be – that person that does something stupid and ruins either my family's lives or my life, you know, because it can yeah. happen. Um, yeah. And so I, it took me year just God bless her at least for the 15 years I was in, I know I was screwed up, but it took me at least another five years after I got out to finally go get help again because I just, I wasn't managing it well. Um, and so I did, and I thought I had it managed under control. It was, I was actually in a really good place you know, um, for a few years right before this happened. And then I immediately, it was funny because the VA reached out to me. They're like, do you guys, do you need anything, you know, mental health, whatever? And I said, sign me up. I'm doing it. Um, because I, I was, it was almost like preventative for me. I didn't want to wait. Like I did the last time where I almost lost my marriage, you know, and, and I probably still am in, in that window of, I may lose my marriage. Who knows? But I wanted to try and do something proactive this time to get ahead of my anger and manage it so that yeah. I'm not doing something stupid. I wonder then, like, you look at this overall, and I wonder, like, is there more that we could be doing before? Like, either before people, you know, you know, are on the front line, or even when they're young. Like, how do we create a society of people who and prepare them for difficult things. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, and and that's part of it, right? Because everybody stuffs it down and nobody wants to talk about it. I, and that's the reason I've been very open about I do go seek out help. I, because I, honestly, you would have asked me this 10 years ago. I don't need no help. I got everything under control. Yeah. And, and, and I finally realized that that help, though it doesn't solve everything, it at least allows me to manage my feelings, manage my emotions so that I'm not doing things that I, I regret, you know, down the road. Um, again, there's, there's so many different ways to, to prepare. And I think it's important for people to do that. Every single person out there is going to deal with tragedy, every yeah. single person. And, and okay. you have to be in a place, position to manage the, the, 
the motions for the I guess I guess what can be really hard is going through something that seems life changing that is so difficult and then trying to find some positives trying to find silver linings trying to find some way that you can take that and use it to either help others or encourage others or use yeah. that to motivate one I, I wonder if you feel that too like do you just you, you know what happened is terrible your own experience was terrible but are you using that to try and bring positive change and well around? yeah so and so my wife and I when we started our brewery in, in 2018 we we she consciously said hey the tagline is diversity it's on tap we want to mm-hmm. welcome folks into our brewery, everybody, and a, and a safe space for every race, gender, color, culture, religion. We didn't care. Everybody's there. And you and, have, by the way, yeah. some great merchandise that everyone needs to look at. <laughs> yeah, no. On, on well, yeah, we did. We did. Like, we shut it down because it was it was out of control for us. But, too many. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, yeah, like no, people need that. to be supporting you guys as well. I like, appreciate uh, that. That's essential, too. Yeah. So, but that's what we've been trying to do is really kind of bring community together. I, after this shooting, when we opened our doors, there was a line out the door and it was amazing. The community, Colorado Springs community is amazing people, but there were people that had never met a trans person in their life that was in that line next to a trans person. It was amazing to see because that was everything that we had wanted to do. And the positive out of this tragic event is that our community is better for it. We kind of yeah. we went we went into a, a mode of caring for people instead of caring what people are doing. We just wanted to care for people, and I think that if that continues, that's how you solve a lot of problems. Is just let people be them, and as long as they're not hurting anybody, we can all get along and and, and get through this thing. And and I, I think that's the positive that comes out of this whole thing. I, I've met people that I've never would have met in my life, right? But they're amazing. That you know, the the, the Colorado Springs Pride Parade. Uh, they asked me to grand marshal. I'm a straight. I'm a hetero male dude, and I'm and I'm pretty. You know, my wife will tell you I'm pretty backwards in my thinking a lot. I'm a I'm a what is it machismo? That's I got a lot of that, right? Um, you know, I'd be I'd be really happy if my wife would stay home and just make tortillas all day, but she won't. She wants to. You know, <laughs> she's doing all her 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 making her dreams come true and my daughters, and that's amazing. But yeah. that's how I think. And they open their arms to me to be the grand marshal for their parade. Meanwhile, yeah. the rest of the society is trying to marginalize them. Like, I'm like, Dave, what are we doing? When people that are getting marginalized are really opening up their arms to you, maybe you should take a, take, reach out your hand and, and shake that hand and see what happens. Um, yeah. So I, I think it was, it, was a, it was an amazing thing. You know, the Springs Pride Parade maybe had 5,000 people every year. And this year it was like 15,000. And it's, that's not people that flew in to go to this parade. That's our community showing up. And I, and I think that's exactly how we, how we finished chatting today. I yeah. mean, you take, you know, you look around, you see what's going on, and you remember the community is everything. The working mm-hmm. together is everything. The helping each other is everything. You are someone who did that. And, um, you know, I hope more people can do it too. At the beginning, I asked why some people run towards gunfire and others run away from it. And it was very clear why Rich ran towards it. He was saving family and his military training. And those two just kicked in. But what was far more interesting was him saying that he doesn't want to live in a world where everyone does run towards the guns. Or in a world, as he said, where everyone is a fighter. And honestly, I always thought that everyone should run towards it, should try and stop that. But for the first time ever, speaking to Rich, I heard the idea that maybe the beauty about community is that there are so many different people in it. And each one brings something different. So for those who don't run towards it, 
Can they be there to help those who did, help those who were injured, help in other ways? So look, it was a real pleasure speaking to Rich today. And I think that it's something that reminds us that the point of us being here is to work together, recognize that people can be different. But again, more than anything else, it's help your community wherever, whenever you can, and whichever different kind of way you can. Each kind, as Rich would say, is important, is vital. And so don't dismiss those who do it differently. Thanks for listening to Searching for Heroes. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.